Hi again, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Glad you could join us today. It's a pleasure having you with us. And thanks again for completely booking out all seated space at our seminar in Tokyo next week. We truly appreciate your interest. We've only had one official cancellation so far, but there should be at least two or three seated spaces still available as at least that number of people tend to drop out on the day itself for various personal reasons. So don't be shy to RSVP if you haven't yet. We'll link to uh, the RSVP uh, uh, registration page in today's show notes. And even if you do show up on the day without reserving a seat, there should be more than enough standing room in any case, I should think. So yeah, that's coming up next Wednesday, July 31st at Charlie Rose in Akasaka, Tokyo. Excited to meet so many of you face-to-face finally. will be great to talk shop with all of you. Okay, so for today's episode, we're back with our Q&A series. And this is a call recorded during a phone consultation with a brand new investor, originally from the UK, now living in Japan. And while we do branch off to various topics as we normally do on these talks, the main issue we're discussing here is how and what should a new investor put their money into. More specifically, if someone is interested in Japanese real estate, should they invest in brick and mortar, or as he puts it on the call, real real estate, or alternatively in REITs, real estate investment trusts, advantages, disadvantages of both options, diversity, hedging, and much, much more. So here it is, our Q&A session recorded last week. Enjoy. So you've mentioned that you're thinking about potentially investing here, but you're also comparing it with REITs and other things, right? Yeah, it's just um, a big cluster of not sure what to do, where to go, how to invest. You know, it's uh, I think it's just a lack of financial education when young. You know, we don't really get told how to use money effectively other than to spend it on stuff. So coming at it at a late stage of life, I guess, 36 here and just thinking, hmm, what's the best way to use my money? And so, hmm, yeah, just really going quite broad looking at uh, real estate investing uh, REITs stocks uh, everything really so okay so you don't yeah. you don't actually have any any of your resources allocated to any other types of investments at any point I have right now um, some cash in stocks in Japanese stocks okay and yeah. are those um, what blue chips or something more adventurous or how they uh, been- yeah pretty big Big, uh, basically just in SoftBank and uh, a couple of other little ones, but yeah, the main one is SoftBank. Okay, so that's I'm guessing reasonable dividends and slow growth, if any, right? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I just know that I'm a SoftBank user, and it seems a fairly robust stock, so that's what I invested in. Okay, but they, have they been paying themselves off in any way? Do you get dividends every year? Do you get any sort of growth that you can then bank on or anything of that sort? Yeah, I believe so, but I don't know the actual uh, value for the dividends on these. Okay, well, probably, probably let's, should. let's call that a safe and stable type of investment. Um, right. I mean, just in comparison with um, you know startups or any stocks that are in emerging, eco- um, emerging uh, uh, areas of economy or anything of that sort. True, yeah. Um, so when you're considering REITs, I guess it's not that different to those, except that you have to know how to pick and choose them. So you have to pick REITs that are 
in particular areas of real estate that you think will be doing better in, in coming years? Like say in Japan, you might want to invest in um, hospitality REITs or aged care facility REITs. I mean, there are REITs that specialize in each and every sector. Oh, I see. Right. And you also want to look at um, ones that are hopefully undervalued um, at the moment, which is a bit difficult in Japan because Japan's REITs are actually some of the more expensive ones in the world per stock. Interesting. Um, I've actually I've just received an article about this um, that links to a really cheap three-hour workshop. I think it was uh, 15 bucks or something for a three-hour workshop that teaches you how to uh, evaluate REITs and invest in them. Interesting. That's um, in Japan. Um, no, that's in Singapore actually. Oh, okay. Um, but the guy, the guy who gave me the link runs a financial blog. That's not his workshop, but he just recommends it as he took it himself. So I'll send you a link oh, to that okay. one. Thanks. And um, that might be interesting to look into. I, I personally am not invested in REIT, so I can't tell you beyond like general macro stuff that I've been reading and writing about it. I understand, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, again, there are sectors in Japan that will definitely do well in coming years. So shared office spaces, um, hospitality, again, aged care facilities, these are all good. And mm -hmm. residential, I guess it depends on their allocation. So if they're centered in one location or other locations. Um, commercial yeah. REITs, um, hard to say. I mean, commercial properties tend to do well when the economy does well, but they're more volatile than residential. Interesting. Yeah, I was looking at um, the in infrastructure ones, um, particularly things like solar panels and uh, green energy, that, that kind of thing as well. In Japan or globally? Uh, originally in Japan, Japan uh, actually, yes. Okay, just bear in mind that the uh, governments now cut down on the uh, renewable energy um, benchmarks that they had and they've cancelled that very nice feed-in tariffs that they instated after the uh, 2011 disaster. Ah, I see. So, so the incentives are down on those kind of things then? Unfortunately, yeah, I'd love to see more of that, but um, there was a big green boom here uh, 2011 right. to 2015 or 16. Yeah, I mean, just driving around the Japanese countryside, I live about 45 minutes northeast of Tokyo, so semi-suburban area, and just driving around, seeing solar farms pop up here, there, and everywhere, just thinking, you know, there's a lot of solar farms right now, so I can see that maybe, yeah, the government has been over-supplied over with electricity, maybe. I think they have been. I mean, there was just not much that they could do with all the um, electricity that the um, renewables were feeding into the uh, into the system so they've scaled it down and they've right. also clamped down on the insurance requirements from the operators so what what they did is not necessarily a bad thing it consolidated a lot of those um, tiny little operators in the countryside into bigger firms that actually take better care of their equipment um, but again, just something that you want to study, like for example, I know that now they're moving more from uh, industrial big installations towards like uh, residential rooftop panels and shopping center panels and hotel, like on tops of buildings. So it's, it's becoming less of a mega farm kind of scenario and more of an individual household scenario for solar. Interesting. Um, so again, when you look at the REITs you want to, or any company that you're investing in, you want to make sure that they're actually going in the same direction the market's going, that's all. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, but as Nippon Tradings, you deal generally in, you know, real, real, real estate. Real, like, real estate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, um, we represent people in whatever they want to buy. Um, the way it works with our customers, I guess, about 
So far, about 75, 80% of them have been uh, pure investors. So they buy properties that they would generally not want to live in. Um, okay, so it's buying for rental purposes, Mostly for rental returns. Some of them have been targeting more speculative strategies, like um, some people buy uh, very old, small buildings on bigger land plots, hoping that a developer will buy them out at some stage. I see, I see. Um, a lot of people recently have been going into... Um, Oh, in the beginning, a lot of people were thinking about Airbnb, and that, um, not sure if you know, that took a hit last year. Oh, it took a hit in Japan only, or globally? In Japan, mostly. So, right. there's a new legislation in place now that puts, like, really strict limitations on what people can do with their minpaku, with short-term rentals. Yeah. And um, so, they can only lease them out short-term for half the year, and the the more serious thing is that they gave local building management companies the right to ban it in the building. Mm which about 90, 99% of them have already done. So if you're owning a single condo in a, in a block, there's not a chance they're going to let you do Airbnb and anything less than one month there. I see, I see. So when that happened, a lot of people that wanted to get higher income uh, went to monthly mansion, uh, so le uh, monthly leases. Mm. And then if you limit the leases to a minimum of one month and you do them with a standard tenancy lease, then that doesn't actually fall under the uh, short-term stay legislation, the Minpaku. Yeah. And then you can tweak your income. So if a long-term uh, tenancy will get you um, in Tokyo, say, 4 or 5% if you're lucky, um, the monthly leases can usually double that. So uh, 8%, 9 10% sort of thing. I see. Um, so a lot of residential, and then uh, I guess about 20% of our customers are people who either buy properties for their own purposes, just to live in, or holiday makers. And when they're not in Japan, they also lease them out by the month, usually. I mean, if it's an attractive... Like a timeshare like time or something? Uh, no, it's theirs. They don't need to. Um, they don't need to book or anything. They just um, they let us know in advance that they're going to be coming here say next okay. year in August, so we make sure it's it's uh, vacant for them to use in August, and mm -hmm. for the rest of the time they just make uh, money off it by releasing it out by the month. Yeah. And you're based in Fukuoka? We're based in Fukuoka, but the uh, properties that we manage are all over Japan. I see. I we, see. Uh, we work with the property managers and with the real estate agents. Um, we're like an added layer on the, invest on the uh, buyer side. Right. So it doesn't really matter where we are physically. When we started out, there were a lot of good deals in Fukuoka, and it was a nice city, so we moved here. But um, these days, Fukuoka is actually, in our bracket, which is usually smaller and cheaper properties, has actually doubled in price since we started. Okay. So the returns here are a lot lower than they were five, six years ago. I see, I see. Because the loans are more expensive? Uh, not the loan, just the, the property the property itself. So if you could have bought a smaller, older studio unit here for, say, one and a half, two million yen up to five years ago, mm -hmm. um, now the same property will cost three or four million yen. Right, right, right. But the rents haven't risen nearly as much, so the, the yields are a lot lower. So we still do some deals in Fukuoka, but a lot of our customers are now uh, purchasing in uh, mainly in other cities. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. you sent me the uh, the document here with some uh, potentials. It, it was just basically three properties, right? And the uh, the kind of these are typical of what you are dealing with, right? You've got three apartments essentially in Fukuoka. 
Yes, yes. Yes, so the first one on that list, I think, is 7.3% net pre-tax per year. That's right, yeah. That's the rare case in Fukuoka these days. Usually, we'd see something more along the lines of uh, 6 or 6.5 at most. I see, yeah. It's interesting. But other cities, but, uh, other cities still do generate that, so... Sapporo can still get seven, eight, nine percent. Kumamoto gets seven, eight, nine percent. Nagoya, if we're lucky, maybe up to eight. That's probably going to change soon as well, I think, because um, they build a new bullet train line there, and they're uh, tearing down a lot of buildings along those lines. So that's put a lot of pressure on occupancy in the city center. Um, and once people can get in faster from Tokyo as well, that's probably going to uh, push prices upwards a bit. Um, Osaka and Tokyo, we've done a few deals, but usually our customers are looking for higher returns. Right. Um, satellite cities around Osaka and Tokyo, um, or big cities around Osaka, so places like um, Yokohama, Kawasaki, um, yeah. Kobe, um, the more metro part of Chiba, we sometimes see Yakosuka, where the uh, army bases are. We yeah. sometimes see some good deals there. In Tokyo and Osaka itself, it's pretty rare these days. What um, What do you feel like is the the unique so, uh, in the unique points of investing either REITs or real estate? What What are the the pros and cons as someone that Well, I guess coming from the the real estate side of things. Uh, well, the biggest reason that people usually opt for real estate is um, just to have control, right? When you're investing in a REIT, the, the company and the properties that they buy and what they do is not really anything that you have any effect on. Right. Um, so your due diligence and your your ability to influence the investments sort of boils down to which REIT to pick kind of thing. Um, whereas when you own the property itself, you've got the flexibility and the option to be more creative with it. You can decide what to do with it. You can decide um, if you want to improve its value somehow and then sell it. Um, those sort of yeah. things you just can't do with a read. It's like a stock. You just, you know, you invest in this a company true, and yeah. they do what they want. Yeah. And the advantages of the REITs are like um, anything that's not real estate is it's a lot more liquid, right? So that can be an advantage if you need urgent cash for anything or you've got something better to put your cash into, but it can be a disadvantage as it sort of, it can encourage you to, to join the herd mentality, right? So the price goes down, you panic, you sell, you're not going to be able to do that as quickly if you're actually owning a property. Yeah. And so it's not a matter of a few clicks, it'll take you a month or two to sell it, which gives you time to think and cool down. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. again, liquidity is, is a bonus for a lot of people. If you do want to be able to move your money around more freely, then you, you, and also the affordability, right? You can buy into a REIT for a few thousand bucks, whereas a minimum price for a property would be twenty thirty. Interesting. Um, you can, was, you can thinking, insure it. That's the other thing. You can insure your property, which is there's no insurance for stock investment. Right. Another thing that I was thinking of is um, I'm actually a homeowner out here um, where I'm based. So uh, in terms of saving on tax, if you, if you purchase a rental property and it reaches a certain age, then you can use that against – you can basically – what's the word? Uh, claim deductions and depreciations. Yeah, that's a depreciation. You can yeah. depreciate the, the building. That's something that you can't do with REITs, I guess, as well. Um, no, plus Sorry. everything that you've spent on purchase costs you can carry forward for three years, which, again, is not there's not that many purchase costs when you're buying stocks. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but on the other hand, just bear in mind that you know tax deductions means you've actually spent money on something, right? So this is true. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's it's great if you're paying if you're paying zero taxes. It just means that your net income hasn't gone up that much. That's all. Mm. Uh, I guess you've got leverage with uh, insurance. Uh, sorry, with real estate as well. In that you can afford, you can you can buy something of much greater value. As in taking a loan, you mean? Correct. Yeah. Um, yes. Although I heard, I have heard that stock investors can do that too. Um, I'm not sure about Japan, but banks do lend against the stock portfolio as well. Interesting. Mm. Um, I was thinking um, the, I mean, real estate in in Japan versus other countries is obviously a a topic. Um, I, I'm a UK citizen, obviously. Uh, you can tell my, from my voice, but um, uh, the reason that I'm looking at Japan real estate over things like American real estate is it's just probably going to be easier for me to purchase out here well, considering I already have a loan as well uh, on a house so um, well, I, mean, I think you can get a loan for investing almost anywhere in the world these days I'd probably, <laughs> probably look at other factors um, what usually draws people here is um the tenants are far less of a hassle than in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they can be a hassle in the sense that, you know, it's an aging society and they sometimes die in the property, but there's not there's not going to be drug labs, explosions, squatters. Uh, if you've got mm-hmm. payment issues, you just send, send them a letter and off they go. There's no forced evictions or court appearances in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and the affordability is another thing. So you can buy places usually a lot cheaper. The U.S. had a, a good run uh, between the uh, the Lehman crash and up until about 2012-13. Right. And, but now it's gone up again, so it's not as attractive. I see. And um, also the professionals that you deal with here, I mean, the property managers, the renovation repair specialists, the uh, real estate agents are just like the tenants, you know, they're Japanese. They don't, they're not going to have any reliability issue. They might not be, you know, as professional as others, but they're not going to screw you or steal your money or anything like that. Right, right. Um, which is another advantage. Mm. But it's a rental It's a rental income um, cash flow oriented investment here. I mean, if prices go up, it'll be great, but it's not something that we recommend our customers bank on. Um, I mean, it's been good the last four or five years, but that's on the back of, you know, 25 odd years of deflation. So it's, I, I wouldn't recommend that anybody consider that a main criteria when they choose properties. Mm. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as an investment, Japanese real estate, you think, I mean, c- compared to other options like REITs and stocks and things like that, what's your own personal, I mean, I guess you're a bit biased because you are already investing in Japanese real estate but how about I ask you the question then why 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 do you invest in Japanese real estate as opposed to other things like what what's the strong the strength for you all those things that you just mentioned about low household tenants affordability insurance that kind of thing well to start off with I mean uh, we had to specialize in something when we started investing and that's been our journey for the last seven eight years and now we are actually thinking of diversifying into stocks as well Interesting. Um, but it, it's really a case-by-case case or investor-by-investor investor scenario. That's why the first question I was asking is if you've got any other um, assets that you're invested in. Yeah, well, not particularly. That, that would be my only, uh, my, my genuine answer would be that I'm fairly 
new to the whole idea of investing my money in anything, to be honest. So, well, I'd which say, is why, yeah, I'd say diversity is the most important thing, right? So, if you've got mm-hmm. several high risk, let's say you've got um, 20, 30 percent of your investment cash invested in. Um, higher risk items, then you want the next 40-50% of your cash to be invested in lower risk items. You want to spread them out um, industry-wise, sector-wise, geographically, socioeconomically. So the, the more um, the more baskets guess, you've got yeah. for your eggs kind of thing, the, the better the better chances you've got of weathering any storm that one particular sector might go through. This is true. So what about Japanese real estate and what would that be in terms of your risk assessment? Uh, well, we know real estate, so we are at this point we're comfortable investing in real estate. We started off with Japan because we were comfortable in Japan. So our diversity, personally, and and most of our customers are usually that way as well, is um, mostly geographical and socioeconomic diversity. So we invest in some um, bigger cities with lower returns. We invest in some smaller cities with higher returns. We invest in some. Um, uh, more hospitality-related properties like monthly mansions. We invest in some long-term leases. So we try to diversify as much as we can within what we know. And then slowly, little by little, we pick up other building blocks for our portfolio. So now we're trying to learn... This again, personally, we're not doing this as a business. Yeah, sure, I understand. So we try to diversify more towards um, stock markets, uh, emerging, emerging uh, industries or uh, something that we know better in, in our countries of origin, for example. I see. Um, real estate in other countries is something that we've delved in and, and are now getting um, a little bit better in, so we'll probably start a bit of a business in that towards the end of the year as well. Right. Um, Amazing. So, yeah, we, I mean, we highlight countries that we think we'd be comfortable investing in and then we trial out investments uh, personally there and once we get the hang of it, then we can offer that service to other people, which is really the same as we've done with Japan. Yeah. But yeah, diversity, man. That, that's the main thing. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, we had um, on our podcast, I think, the other week, um, an interview with uh, Ben Sheeran from Retired Japan. I am familiar with the site, yeah. Yeah, so um, he just gave like a really textbook example of somebody who's, you know, somebody who was working for a big Japanese company, I think it was an airline, and him and his wife put everything that they had into that company, and then that crashed, and they went from being, you know, a very comfortable family to being really pretty much impoverished, right? Yeah. And but that can happen with anything. I mean, we you know we put everything that we've got into Tokyo. There's a big earth earthquake, and we lose everything. We put everything that we've got into one company. Yeah, stock. this is true. Yeah. yeah. So just just spread things out as much as possible within within the uh, the capital that we've got. Right. Right. Yeah. I see. Well, I mean, if you've got stocks, um, maybe um, brick and mortar real estate would would be a more logical thing to diversify too. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, not, not getting into your wallet, I'm not sure how much you've got invested and how much you want to invest. So the percentage allocation also plays in that. Right. Um, I'd usually, depending on your risk appetite, but usually it's recommended to have at least 60% of your um, capital in something that's safe and stable. Mm-hmm. And then depending on how comfortable you feel, have 20, 30, 10% into something that might generate more income if it goes well. Yeah. Um, so more adventurous. So, again, depending on how much you've got and how much you've already got invested, you might want to consider getting into both. I'm not sure. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to discuss your particular scenario, I can probably make more concrete advice, but generally speaking, diversify. Yeah, 
looking at this uh, spreadsheet that you sent with the, the properties, the the purchase price, the purchase costs here, these are like Japanese atamakin to like start start the purchase. Is that, is that what, what? It's not only that. So what it consists of is um, all of, we can't actually estimate accurate costs uh, this early in the deal evaluation phase. So we need to, um, we need to get the exact evaluation of the property um, from the last property tax bill. And then according to that, the uh, judicial scrivener who will do the legal registration can give us a quote for their fee. Right. Um, the uh, purchase tax, which is on average about 2.5% of the uh, sale price, can also go up and down a bit depending on the uh, official valuation. And the official valuation is often quite different to the market price. So we estimate a worst-case scenario of 20% in those deals that okay. you see. Um, and that consists of up to uh, 8% legal and registration costs. So for the Shihoshashi yeah. and the Legal Affairs Bureau. Um, the uh, agent, the realtor's uh, cost, which is usually... It's 3% plus 60,000 plus tax. Usually works out to be somewhere between 4 to 5%. And um, our price, which is also for these properties, 5%. Yeah. Um, anything over 5 million goes lower. And uh, the purchase tax, which again is approximately somewhere between 23 to 2.7%. Um, so worst case comes up to 20%. Usually it'll end up being something like 16 or 17. Yeah, I mean, just on a personal level, it seems fairly reasonable to, I mean, all of these properties... The, the, the purchase cost worst case scenario is uh, pretty reasonable. I, I wouldn't expect you could buy uh, an apartment or whatever for, for that amount of money. It's, it's quite low in my, compared to what I was thinking it would be. No, that's, the, uh, that's the upside of 25 years of deflation. <laughs> I see. Yeah. And, but it's only for the older properties. I mean, if you get a new, uh, pro I mean, Japanese like stuff new, and if you get a new um, big property um, in a central location, it'll cost like it does in any big city. Yeah. Um, so size... But, but even those expensive mid-city properties, they wouldn't be yielding as much or much more than these properties though, right? Uh, Percentage-wise, yeah, not nearly. Mm. So generally speaking, anything that's over... 1DK, two bedrooms, or you know, bedroom plus dining, living kitchen kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that tends to the, the purchase price goes up far, far sharply, far more sharply than the uh, rental income. So it's not really worth going to like get a really swanky big family apartment then. Well, it depends on what you're going to do with it and what you're factoring in. So maintenance, maintenance and repair costs are are a lot less for newer apartments. Um, because you're not going to suddenly have to replace a you know thirty year old section of uh, pipes. Yeah. Um, the hot water boiler is going to be relatively new and stuff like that. The um, and the other thing is that the rents tend to hold better if the property is new. When the property is older, as soon as there's a new development built anywhere close, that tends to push rents down severely. And because incomes and new develop a new development that's charging just a little bit more than you're charging for your old unit, you obviously all landlords in the area have to drop the rents. Otherwise, tenants all go to the newer ones. I see. And that's new, interesting. Yeah. And newer property just doesn't suffer from that as much. It does, but not as much. Mm. 
And the other thing is, um, if you are thinking about potentially increasing your income by releasing them out on, by the month, for example, um, these older ones are far less attractive to people who are coming in for a furnished apartment. I see. Um, so th there's advantage and disadvantages, and um, tax-wise, the older ones are probably better, like you said. Um, sale price, I mean, again, it's not something I want to bank on, but a newer property probably holds value a little bit longer than an older one. And um, having said that, the older ones have probably depreciated to the point where they're not going to lose value much. So, But if the economy does do well and prices do go up, then a newer property... Um, or a bigger property which has a bigger land portion will obviously gain more. Mm. Yeah, fascinating stuff. You obviously mm. really know, well, I guess you're running a company, so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting for someone that's very, very new to this, this whole kind of world. Yeah. yeah. It's again, it's about finding your personal sweet spot as far as uh, risk and budget and yield requirements yeah. go, you know? You, you just... You you decide how much you want to invest. You decide what's the um, what's the minimum return that you want to get, and then you see what's the best that you can get for those criteria. Yeah, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, so Nippon Trainings, if I go to your site, then you have a, a list of like recent buildings or. Uh, just samples. I mean, the property market moves very quickly in Japan, especially for the cheaper properties. I see. Um, so by the time we actually get them onto the website, uh, most of them are already gone. But it does give you a, an idea of what can be had in each and every location. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once our customers sign up with us and they say that they're planning to um, purchase in the next so-and-so months or years, then we start forwarding potentials like the example that I sent you yesterday as soon as they get listed. So those three that you received yesterday, for example, via Excel sheet... Yeah. Um, they might make it to the website, they might not. One of them's already been taken by a waiting client, and I'm guessing the other two, even if one of our clients doesn't take them, I'm sure they'll be off the market in a week or two. Um, yeah. Just yeah. because they're so cheap and they're relatively good yield for Fukuoka. Yeah, and, uh, I'm, I'm surprised. Like I said, the, the buying price and you know the, the yield, it's, it's not quite what I was expecting. I was expecting things to be either much more expensive with much less return, so... Well, to Tokyo yeah. will probably give you double that and half the returns if that's what you're after. Uh, not particularly. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so so once once we're actually working with someone on getting them the property that they want, then rather than look at the website, we'll just keep sending Excel sheets your way. We need to put in an offer very quickly to get our foot in the door because they do go very quick. But we make that offer pending on due diligence. So we write that we offer such and such price. Um, right. Depending on the city, there's probably in Fukuoka, for example, or Tokyo, there's not much room for negotiation. But smaller cities, you can try to negotiate. And then we write on the offer that that um, offer is pending uh, the building's renovation history and the uh, amount that they've got saved in the reserve funds pool and the tenancy information. And then once once the realtor has an offer on the table, they feel comfortable to go to the uh, seller and ask them for all of that information. In some cases, they have to pay the building management company to get the renovation history and all of that. Um, so they're not going to do that before they've got an offer because, you know, if, if someone's just calling with questions, there's going to be an offer the next day and they're going to sell it. So they're not going to go out of the way before they get an offer on the table. Once they've, we've submitted the offer, they get all this information, we review it together with the customer, and then 
we give them our reservations if we have any, or we say that this looks really good, or we say that you know this looks really good if the price was a little bit lower because there's a risk factor here and here and there. Yeah. Um, and once that's all finalized and we got our final offer, um, we move forward, or we might say, you know, the risk factor is a little bit too high. I mean, it's the customer's final call always, but we might say that we think the risk factor is a little bit too high and it's probably better to wait for the next batch of properties and so forth. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, fantastic. Um, I've got obviously a lot to think about now. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, re I really appreciate the uh, the chat. I don't want to keep you talking too long. Um, That's fine. I can put you in touch with them um, once you think you're getting closer to, to making a decision. I'll put you in touch with one of our existing customers um, who's probably uh, got a portfolio size similar to what you're planning to have, and you can just mm -hmm. just talk to them and see from their experience how they've uh, you know make made decisions and how they're happy with it. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic. No that worries. really would. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Ziv, um, it's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you so much for taking time out of your day just to just to chat, you know. I'm, uh, I'm really thankful for your time. No problem at all. Great speaking with you. Okay, so that's it for our chat with this uh, beginner investor from the UK, or well, now from Japan, I should say. I um, hope you found some value in it. These topics and many, many more are what we'll be discussing in the seminar next week as well. Hope to see you there. Do share this episode and our podcast with your personal networks. If you think someone might find the content interesting, post links on your social media profiles. And most importantly, please do rate us, if you could, on the iTunes store, Spotify, wherever you might have found us. It'll just take a minute of your time, probably even less. Five stars for great, one star for bad, anything in between. We want to know what you think. And it also helps more people find us, which could be beneficial for everyone involved. So go in there, give us a rating, give us a review if you can. Hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you, as always, happy investing.